Bibles, let's open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And then Luke chapter 6, please. Acts 2 and Luke 6. Hold your place in Luke 6. We'll get to that. And uh, Acts chapter 2 is where we'll start. We've been talking about the unstoppable spirit-filled church. This is not talking about the rock. This is talking about the church of Jesus Christ globally. The one that he began that really got kicked off on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And we've been talking about from the word of God, the characteristics of that church. And what is it that makes the church of the Lord Jesus an unstoppable spirit-filled church? So we've been walking our way through this. And today I want to take you a little farther and show you yet another vital and important characteristic about the unstoppable spirit-filled church. And I want to begin here in Acts chapter 2. And I want to read verses 40 to 45. Acts 2 Verses 40 to 45, we'll read from the New King James Version. So if you don't have that, that's okay. But follow along on the screens while we read aloud if you would. Everybody together. Acts 2, verses 40 to 45, reading loudly and together, let's read. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now I want you to notice here in this passage, we started in verse 40, and Peter is sharing this initial message, an impromptu, Holy Spirit-inspired response to this crowd of people that came that heard the rushing mighty wind, and they're asking what's going on with these people because they noticed that something had happened to these people. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking with spiritual language and such, really, which was languages of men. You remember Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels? Well, the tongues of men, in other words, human languages, would be recognizable to those people that knew or were somewhat familiar with those languages. And so in this case, their spiritual languages came out in languages of human beings that were present there. And they recognized their own dialect and, and language. And they were trying to figure out how can these people in this part of the world be speaking the language from my part of the world? See, it was, a, it, was a, it was Pentecost. It was a feast. It was a big holiday where everybody had come from out of town. And they were tripping out that these people were able to speak in these languages. And so this big crowd assembles and Peter steps up and begins to preach about the giving of the Holy Spirit, the falling of the Holy Spirit from Joel chapter 2 and other places. And it says here, as the text stops quoting Peter, it says in verse 40, and with many other words, he, Peter, testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this generation. And so then verse 41 says that about 3000 people received the Lord and were baptized in water that day. And uh, verse 42 says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. But then it says in verse 44, now all who believed, well, we know that's 3,000, 
were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, what is it that would impact people so deeply that people that just heard this message, just received the Lord Jesus and were baptized, all of a sudden, they're ready to sell their possessions and to come and bring them so that people's needs can be distributed. Let me tell you, this is, this is what's called the power of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes to our heart. And to some, it's just a story about a Jesus that was crucified and was raised from the dead years ago. But let me tell you, the gospel is much more powerful than that. And when people hear the gospel and get it, when they believe it and they receive Jesus, something is altered in your heart and your priorities instantly begin to change to where all of a sudden, for example, in our case, we're no longer typical Americans or Latin Americans or whatever we are, wherever your background is, you're no longer typical. All of a sudden, your own personal agenda is not the highest on the list. The highest on the list is pleasing the Lord and helping others to find Jesus and salvation. And that's exactly what happened to them. It altered their priorities. And they began to see material goods that they had, not just for their own benefit, but they began to see them for the benefit of the kingdom of God and for other people to receive and to be blessed. And so I want to talk to you today about this significant part of the unstoppable spirit-filled church called unstoppable contribution, unstoppable contribution. And I mean, it picks up from day one of the early church. And you would think, boy, why is that in there? Why, why do you even have to talk about that? And the reason why it's in the Bible is because the Holy Spirit wanted it to be captured so that we would understand that this church did not explode just by spiritual things. This church exploded by people's lives being radically changed and it changed their outlook. It changed their paradigms. It changed their behavior and their priorities. And those actions of the people who were indeed impacted by the word of God caused that impact to continue to go out in waves. Unstoppable contribution. You know, from day one, when you arrive on this earth, you don't realize it, but you begin making contribution that ends up sustaining your life. Two categories, if we could call them categories of life on earth. You've got the plant world and you've got what most people would call the animal world. Of course, we're not animals, but we're included in that whole uh, kingdom, that whole type of physical being. And you know, the whole plant world constantly contributes oxygen to this planet. And the whole animal kingdom is constantly contributing carbon dioxide to this planet. And without carbon dioxide, the plant life would die. And without oxygen, the animal life would die. But through constant and tireless contribution, the other can exist And give what's needed so that you exist. From day one, contribution is what causes something else to exist and survive that contributes for your own survival. This is the way God set it up. He did not set us up to be takers. He set us up to be contributors, to to give, to give. 
You know, you could categorize people in this world in two major categories, givers and takers. We've heard people say that. Givers and takers. You know, you can see a taker when, you know, they'll go to a hotel and they'll stay at a hotel and you got all these little soaps and shampoos and, you know, the little box for the little shoe shine thing and you got some Q-tips in there and such. And some people will go in there and they'll just rake it all into their bag. They, they may have only been in the hotel room for an hour because they were in meetings and such, but they rake it all in. And, they, and some people will be there multiple days and every day they'll rake it in, rake it in, rake it in, and they know that it'll be replenished every day. And they'll, and they'll just sort of justify it by saying, well, I paid for that. Well, I paid for that. And is that really true? Is that really true? Is that really what the hotel did? Did they provide that for everybody to take the whole stash with them? Or did they provide that so you would have it to use while you were there if you needed it? See, and Jesus says the way of the kingdom is this. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. So if that was your business, would you want people just raking it all in? Or would you want them to use it while they were there if they needed it? Were you providing it? But see, some people... They've got this idea and it comes from a worldly mentality. It's from the other kingdom. It's not from the kingdom of God. It's from the other kingdom that says you take advantage of every opportunity that you get for yourself. Every business deal, you get the best end of the deal. Every negotiation, you win. It's got to be win-lose. You win, they lose. That's the way of the kingdom of darkness. But God's kingdom is not that way. And let me tell you why. First of all, he owns everything. And so in his heart and mind, he knows there is no shortage and there never will be a shortage because no matter whose hands it's in, he knows he owns it and he can get it anytime he wants to. And so his heart is always to give for God. So loved the world that he gave God is a giver. And so when you become a part of the kingdom of God, something in your heart realizes that you've received a precious gift, something that you could never earn, something that if you could live a million years, you could never work hard enough to receive the salvation that we received in the Lord. And when you see that, something inside of you says, I can't just take this. I've got to give back. I've got to contribute. I've got to be a part of other people receiving this. And this is what happened here in the book of Acts. And sometimes we overlook this and we only look at the spiritual things. But we're not looking at the practical behavioral things, the things that affected me so deeply that all of a sudden my value system is instantly altered from other Americans or other people in my culture. I'm different than them. Why? I became a part of a new culture. And our hope and our destiny is to reach people and to take them with us. See, something changed. Something changed on day one of the church and it continues to be captured in other places. For example, let's look at the fourth chapter. It says in chapter four, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had, they, they had all things in common. Verse 33. And with great power, The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. Notice how the Bible just weaves in and out between spiritual power, signs and wonders and the giving of material things as if there's no contradiction. 
as if we didn't change subjects because we didn't. See, when the gospel comes to your heart, it affects you and your whole life becomes open to the Lord Jesus and available for his use. Your whole life. And when that happens, that's when the power of the Holy Spirit can really flow because we've got a channel. We've got a vessel, if you will. It's like, have you ever had some uh, plumbing stopped up at your house? See, some people get stopped up with their own personal agendas. And so the spiritual power doesn't flow. But these people, oh, they said, everything belongs to you, Lord. Whatever we got to do to help and bless and to supply needs and to keep the gospel going, we'll do it. And when that happened, spiritual power began to flow freely because we're not serving two masters anymore. We've got one master. His name is Jesus. And that's when things really began to go. And so it says, no one lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds that were sold and laid them at the apostles feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas, you remember Barnabas traveled around later with Paul and they did powerful ministry. Joseph, who's, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here we got all this powerful ministry going on, healings and deliverances and everything else. And the Bible's talking about money. The Bible's talking about how people are selling things and bringing, this is not small contributions. These are large contributions. Isn't that right? Barnabas had land and sold his land and just brought it and laid it. Why would he do that? His priorities changed. He saw something. Amen. He saw something. He saw something. Something changed with him. Something changed with him. Now let me remind you about God's rewards. I'm talking about unstoppable contribution. I want to talk about several different elements of it. But let me just stop and remind you about giving to anything that has to do with the Lord. That God promises in the Bible to reward you back more than what you gave. And somebody would say, but you know what? We shouldn't even think about that when we're giving because we should just do it out of love for God. And let me just stop and say, they're right that we should do it out of love for God. In fact, I'll I'll be honest with you. I believe with all of my heart that this is true and God would know. That if there was no reward promised, if there was no blessing back forgiven, no opening of the windows of heaven for tithers or sowing in any way, God just said, I need you to do it to partner with me in the kingdom and to get the gospel out. I believe I would do it. I believe I would do it. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus changed me. And I was bound and I knew I was bound. And when he set me free, I could not give my life to him. I had to lay it down so that other people would receive and understand that he is real and he's available. He'll deliver you. He'll help you. He'll supply for you. He'll meet your every need. And so I believe with all of my heart that if there was no reward, I would still do it because of what he did for me and who he is in my life. 
And it would be a privilege and there would be no complaining because it would be inappropriate because I'd still be getting the best end of the deal. Amen. But he does promise reward. And if he didn't want us to think about it, he shouldn't have brought it up so many times because he continues to bring it up and tell us that you can't outgive him. He's going to continue to bless. And so let me just share and remind you, Luke 6, 38. This is why, why I had you turn there. This is where Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put in your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. If you use a teaspoon to give, then he's going to measure blessing back to you in teaspoons. More teaspoons than what you gave, but nonetheless, it's going to come in teaspoons. If you use a shovel... Well, he'll measure it back to you with a shovel. If you use a big, you know, tractor, bucket, you know, skip loader. Well, that's what he's going to measure back to you. That's what he said. But notice he said, give and it'll be given back to you. Good measure. Well, if something's going to be given back to me, I kind of want it to be good measure. Don't you? Anybody? Good measure. Listen to this. Press down. Press down. You ever go get a scoop of ice cream and you got that little skinny girl behind the counter? You know what I mean? I mean, skinny arms there and she reaches down there and she's, she, she's not scooping. She's dragging that thing. She's scraping. And you know, you're not getting a scoop. You're getting a wave coming over. Anybody know? Somebody could surf in there. You know, you get the wave coming over right there. And and then you're going to throw that in. It's like, Man, listen, I'm looking for like a scoop, you know? I mean, I want it to be dense. I want it to be thick. I want it to be solid. And, uh, and not, not only that, but this says, press down. Man, press that thing. There's still room in that cup. <laughs> press that thing down in there. Isn't that right? If I'm going to get an ice cream cone, man, press it down in there. There's space in there. There's space in there. Well, listen, this is what God says. God said, listen, if you give... It's going to be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Shaken together would be if it's something, you know, that is, it's not like ice cream, but you know, it's like, you know, something else you like. Well, you want to shake it down. Make sure it all goes down in there, right? Listen, and then he says this, and running over. In other words, it's not just going to be full. God's saying, you're going to have more than you need. You're going to have more than you need. Now, God didn't have to put that in the Bible, but this is what I'm trying to tell you. The way of the kingdom is that we become a part of the kingdom of God and contribute out of our hearts of love for God, but also in faith that he'll make sure that I'm taken care of and even more than and better than I could take care of myself. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things will be added to you that everybody else is trying to rally and get. Isn't that right? All these things. Well, listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9. Verse six, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows or and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver. Doesn't say God loves a grumpy giver. You know, I believe some people, they know they should tithe and so they do, but they don't do it cheerfully. You know, you kind of throw it in there and then you watch it all the way down, you know. Goodbye. 
Look, let me tell you. Not only has God already taken care of you. Look, you're here, aren't you? You hadn't starved to death yet, have you? Not only has God already taken care of you, but his promise is if you'll give cheerfully, he'll bless you more. Paul said in one passage, if we do this thing willingly, there's a reward. If we do this thing willingly, there's a reward. And God wants to reward us. I remember when I was in Bible college that I'd caught these things from my parents that, man, everybody's supposed to be a part. I remember my dad going and working at the church many times. He was a handyman. He could build things and he, he kind of knew electrical. He, he, he knew a little bit about everything with construction. And so when they would have something, you know, they need, needed a sound booth to be built or they, they need some electrical or a wall to be taken out or whatever. He's right down there working on it. And I'm just a kid. I just thought that's the way every family was. I just thought every family's a part of the kingdom of God. Everybody's a part. That's just the way I grew up. So I was really blessed in that way. I just thought that's normal. Everybody chips in and we help Jesus with his work. But I also noticed my parents were tithers. And so no matter how tight things got financially, and they did, they did because no matter how much money we make, we can get ourselves into messes. Isn't that right? Not to mention just the things that are happening to us that was not of our own decision. And so things would get tight, but my parents always just consistently tied. So as I grew up, I did that. Working at Jack in the Box, In-N-Out Burger, as a lifeguard, every job I had, you always, you know, see what that gross pay is. And I would just pay that 10% because that was unto the Lord. And I never, ever had a disgruntled thought about it because my parents always taught me that God's going to take care of you. You just honor him and help him with his work and he's going to take care of you. Well, then I got into Bible college and... I began to learn, man, God really does want to be faithful to his word and blessed. And so I was working at the grocery store at that time and the Lord promoted me and and things kept happening. So I just continued to tithe, you know, and as the pay went up, the tithe went up and I was always excited to do it, but I was paying school. I was paying for gas, going to LA every day. But as a Bible college student, I was also giving a hundred dollars to missions I also bought a new truck and I I was paying payments back in that that day. And I always had money in my pocket. Just blessed of God. Some of the Bible college people, in fact, most of them would talk, well, we're just poor. We're Bible college students. I never would say that because I caught something about how God will bless you. And how could I speak that God is not taking good care of me if I'm tithing and I'm giving a hundred dollars to mission as a Bible college student? And guess what? He just continued to do it. Continued to do it. See, that was early in life. Early in life. But I, I can tell you right now, the Lord will continue to be faithful to you. Continue to be faithful. Continue to be faithful. No matter how little you have. Remember the widow with two mites? Jesus said she gave more than everybody because by percentage, she gave way more. In fact, she gave everything she had. So Jesus esteemed her gift as more than the wealthy people that were giving. See, God looks at this thing differently than we look at it. God's not, God really doesn't need a lot from us. God really doesn't need a lot from us because he's the provider. But Jesus said, freely you have received. What did he say? Freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. Now listen to what Jesus said in Luke 12, 48. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Notice again, for everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, 
of him they will ask the more. In other words, as God continues to increase you, well, God just expects that you continue to increase the ability to contribute to his purposes in his kingdom. Why? Because you understand that it's his blessings coming. And so as he expands your increase, and by the way, God doesn't ask us unless the Holy Spirit specifically says something to you. The principles of the kingdom are not that you give everything to the Lord. But the Lord asks for that tithe and giving as the Holy Spirit leads. But he's saying, as I continue to expand you, then you continue, you'll continue to be able to expand your contribution. To whom much is given, much is required. See? And somebody said, yeah, you're taking more from me. God's saying, no, you missed the point. I'm giving more to you. And if you'll continue to expand your contribution from what I give, I'll continue to expand what I give to you. See, this is the way the kingdom works, but this is faith. This takes faith. The person in our society is trained in natural things. And you know, you go see a financial planner. Most financial planners would just start asking you questions like, okay, when do you want to retire? How much do you want to have when you retire? And just get into natural things. They're not going to ask you, hey, what's the Lord called you to? What has the Lord called you to? And what has he asked you to do? See, they don't, they don't generally ask those questions. They're just asking, what do you want? But see, if you don't ask the right questions, you're not going to get the right answers. You've got to start and say, look, I made Jesus my Lord. He's my Savior. And so whatever he wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. When you start with the right thing, then you can be on the plan of God and be in the favor of God and in a position to receive from God. So... To whom much is given, much is required. You think about an elephant. I looked up an elephant. An elephant eats, an average elephant eats about 300 pounds of food a day. A day, about 300 pounds. And an elephant also excretes about 165 pounds of dung a day. 165 pounds. Don't follow too close. 165 pounds of dung a day. Well, you're taking in 300 pounds in the front end, the back end, 165 is going back out. Now a horse excretes about 40 to 50 pounds of manure a day. For don't stand behind a horse either. About 40 to 50 pounds. Now listen, when an elephant begins to excrete like a horse, he's on his way to the grave. And when a person in the kingdom of God, whom God has blessed and increased, when their output, when their contribution begins to get smaller and smaller comparatively, they're on their way to the spiritual grave. Because something became broken inside and it begins to strangle you on the inside. You begin to be spiritually constipated because no longer does your life represent the Lordship of Jesus. You took matters into your own hands somewhere inside. And somewhere inside, inside, instead of trusting the Lord and continuing to allow Him to allow Him to expand your ability to contribute to the kingdom of God and to the blessing of other people, somehow you got tied up with the ways of the world that said, if I don't keep this, I may not see it again. I don't know what I'm going to have in the future. So I better start adjusting my value system. And when that happens... You're on your way to the spiritual grave because you're in violation 
of the principles and you no longer believe. You're saying with your behavior, I really don't trust you that you're going to continue to take care of me. I really don't know how the future is going to play out. So I better start taking care of myself and I'm changing the rules here. Now, when you begin to say that with your lifestyle, even if outwardly you're speaking one message, your actions and behavior are clearly saying to God, I do not trust you. And if you don't trust him in that area, what makes you think you really trust him in any area? You're the same person. You're the same person. See, that's why Jesus said, you know, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of the father. Those are the ones who you know, believe me, the ones you know made me Lord because you can see it in their life. They continue to trust him, continue to follow him. This is so important. This is so important. Let me remind you of God's warnings to the rich. And by the way, when, when the Bible talks about rich, don't think of the rich that Americans think about, you know, the multi-billionaires and such, or even multi-millionaires. Here's what rich is in the Bible. When you have everything you need and you have abundance. You have more in your account than what you actually need. You've got extra. You've got savings. You've got some investment. You've got stuff. You've got extra. That's called being rich. You're wealthy because there are a lot of people that don't have enough. You have not only enough, but you've got extra. And the Bible gives a lot of warnings to rich people because when you are in that situation, when you have extra, you've got options. And those options become temptations to choose and embrace a different value system than the kingdom of God. When you don't have anything and you have to depend on God, you're more likely to do it. But all of a sudden, when you have a little bit, you're going to be tempted to depend on that instead of depending on him. So listen to what Jesus said in Luke 12, in the 15th verse. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. Beware. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. It's not he who dies with the most toys wins. Verse 16. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. In other words, his business went well. His income was increasing. Things were going well for him financially. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. That's called a big nest egg. Take your ease, retire, eat, drink, be merry, travel, do what you want to do. It's part of the American dream. Verse 20. But God said to him, fool, This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let me tell you, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And I know know some folks would just assume we don't talk about this and act like Jesus never said it, act like it's not in the Bible. God forbid that anybody in our church would fall prey to this that's attacking so many people and not hear what the Bible has to say. God forbid, man, I don't want anybody to miss it on this account. And this is not something that's just found in little obscure places in the Bible. I mean, it is very, very, uh, prominent in the word of God. These warnings against the deceitfulness of riches, the love of money and such. And Jesus himself talking about this. 
And this is part of the American thing. You know, you want to build up. You want to be able to retire early. It's kind of a pride thing. I want to retire early. You know, that means I'm successful. And then I get to do what I want and such. Well, look, God's not saying you can't retire early. And God's not saying you can't have anything. But this idea, what do I do? Man, this thing's really flourishing. I know what I'll do. I'll just build bigger barns and I'll have more. And then eventually I'll just have everything I need. And your money has become your life. It's become your God. It's become your source. And you have no purpose of that money. There's no contribution in his language. It's all about me. It's all about my ease, my pleasure, my future, my retirement. It's me. It's me. And what what happened? Listen to this. God interrupts this guy. He didn't even pray. God just shows up and says, you fool. This night, your soul is required. Your soul, not your money, your soul is required this night. And then what's going to become with that money? This is a big deal. And the reason why God shows up in the middle of this story and calls him a fool and says, tonight your soul is required of you is because this area of our lives is important to God and it's indicative to our heart toward God. It shows where our values are. It shows who's important to us and it shows whether we're even clicked in and snapped into the purposes of God in the earth. Are we even aware that people's lives are hanging in the, in the balance? Is that even important to us? Are we even aware that there are widows all around us, single parents and stuff that, that are struggling and we don't even care? And here the Lord's trying to minister to them and blessing us to be able to spread his resource. But because we've lost faith that God will continue to take care of us or take care of us well enough. Now we've fallen into the trap of the love of money. Listen to what Paul said. First Timothy chapter six, the ninth verse. But, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts. That's what Jesus was talking about. The people that desire to be rich fall into temptation, a snare, many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith. Look at that. They had the faith, but they strayed from the faith. What? Through that love of money in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrow. That's your future. If you've allowed this to take root in your heart and you've stopped embracing the value system of the kingdom. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. What are uncertain riches? That's the riches on this earth that we think, well, we got this investment. We got this savings. We got something built up here. And so we know we're going to have that. That's uncertain riches. That's uncertain. Another uh, proverb says, surely those kind of riches make themselves wings and fly away. You thought you had it secure and all of a sudden it's gone and you don't know what to do. And he says, so command those who are rich. In this present age, not to be haughty. Sometimes when you get a little money, you get prideful and you start to criticize other folks and act like you know everything. He says, command those who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in who? In the living God. Say it. The living God. Trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. See, he's not trying to make us paupers. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, 
Ready to what? Ready to give. Willing to what? Willing to share. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Do you see how the Bible just says these things are connected? You can't separate your salvation from the way you live your life. Paul's saying, look, if you're embracing, if you're allowing the love of money to stop you from increasing the contribution to other people and to the kingdom of God and the purposes of the Lord Jesus, and you keep expanding and you're not expanding the other, he said, you fall and pray to this world's love of money. That's the other kingdom. And he said, you better command those people, Timothy, to get that straightened out so that they might lay hold on eternal life. These things drown people. These things pierce people. These things destroy people. And they don't even realize it. And some people do it under the guise of, well, God's just blessing me. Well, that's great that God's just blessing you. Are you using that blessing now to continue to advance his causes? Because if not... Now you've begun to, to withhold from the Lord. Withhold from the Lord. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Mark 10, 25. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because the rich man has options. The rich man has something else to depend on. Some wealth, some income. And so I really am not desperate for God right now because I got something coming in. And so Jesus said, it's hard for that person to be saved. And see, people don't realize that the connection with our hearts and money has everything to do with salvation. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and what? Mammon. These two are connected directly. And being under the submission to the Lordship of Jesus is going to completely confront that spirit of mammon that grips our hearts that says, I got to keep it for myself. And I got to look out for myself because you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you can depend on anybody in the future. And God hears our hearts thinking that and saying that. And he watches our actions. This is so important. This is so important. You remember Proverbs Chapter 11, verse 24, there is one who scatters, yet somehow increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. It's like that elephant, right? Like that elephant. When you begin to excrete like a horse, you're on your way to the grave. This is so important. As the Lord increases us, we need to increase. We need to increase. I want to talk about ministry for a moment. First Peter 4, 7 through 10 says, Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand. Well, if the end of all things was at hand then, you know it's at hand now. And if you know anything about the signs of the times, you'll know Jesus is coming back soon. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you've got talents, abilities, I mentioned that my dad used to be a handyman and he would help. He would help the church, but he'd also help other people. 
There's something about contribution that is a part of the way of the kingdom. And when you click into that and realize, you know what? I can't just be a taker. I've got to be a giver. In fact, my heart says I've got to give back more than I'm taking. Why? Because the Lord loaded me up with this great salvation. And he continues to expand me. So I need to continue to expand my contribution and my blessing toward more people. This is the way of the kingdom. Listen to Ephesians 4 verse 11. Jesus gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part, every part, every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. When everybody in the body of Christ begins to contribute Like the Lord has blessed them at the level that the Lord has blessed them, whether it be two mites or two billion mites. It doesn't make any difference. When we begin to contribute at that level, it causes growth. It causes expansion. It causes increase. Everybody listen to me for just a minute. It won't be long. Listen, it won't be long. And we'll be there with him. It won't be long. And we're going to remember these conversations. It won't be long. But when we get there, if all of us get there, we don't want to be embarrassed and be looking down at the ground while he's looking at us. Because we knew that we didn't click in with him and we became typical and we used the blessings of the Lord for our advantage. But didn't trust him. Snap in with him and to be a disciple and say, Lord, everything belongs to you. And I know you're going to take care of me. So I I don't hold anything back. Here, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Like in the book of Acts. You know why these things are in the Bible? Because they're examples for a church today that would be a spirit-filled, unstoppable church. They're examples to us. They're examples. And these people were, I mean, laying it down for the kingdom. And we always talk about that church exploding, but the Lord is saying, that's what I want for my church everywhere, everywhere. But it takes that heart that's cut that says, you know what? I refuse to just come and be a leech. You know, some people will be a leech at church. You know what I mean? They just come. They're suckers. They're suckers. In other words, they don't contribute anything. They don't do anything to help anybody else. Now listen, I understand that sometimes people are dealing with uh, serious sicknesses or they've got somebody in their family that's dealing with that or they've got some kind of a severe crisis that's going on. Everybody, God understands that. That's not an issue. And by the way, we're not looking at anybody or thinking about anybody in particular. But it would be easy, and many people do this, they just attend In other words, I want to come and enjoy the atmosphere, the presence of the Lord. I want to come and hear the word of God. And I want to, I want to be a part of something that's happening and, and see, you know, fruitfulness and such. But as far, as far as what I contribute, well, I, I I got my own things going. I got my own life. And so everybody else is giving, sacrificing, investing and, and laying it down so that that could be a ministry. And yet some people would just come and take, take take. And let me just tell you right now, that is not the way of the kingdom of God. Because there are many thousands of other people out there that need this, 
But it requires all of our contribution to give into this so that people could continue to be touched. My life was changed, but did you know there were people that sacrificed so that I might receive the gospel? People that gave, people that sowed into a church when I wasn't even born yet. So that when I was born, my family could go there and get the word of God and we could be changed. See, somebody got it and somebody contributed so that somebody else might be able to know Jesus. And I'm one of those and so are you. And that's why when you get it and you see this, something inside of you says, you know what? I refuse to be like everybody out there in the world. Man, we're part of Jesus kingdom here. And we're going to make sure that other people have an opportunity to receive this salvation. And if we don't ever become the millionaires and all that and things that we could all aspire to if we thought about it. So what? It's going to mean nothing in a few days. You know, the only thing that's going to mean anything is how many people did we get? And we want to be able to walk up and Jesus give us a high five and say, we got a bunch, didn't we? We got a bunch. Amen. Amen. This is so important. Let me close with fellowship. Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. There's some people who, you know, they just come to church every once in a while or they'll come to church. But this is why the Lord's telling us to begin to take rock groups everywhere. Why? He said, don't forsake the assembling together as is the manner of some. In other words, some have done that, but you do it even more so as you see the day approaching. Get together even more often with the body of Christ. Why? As the day of the Lord approaches, perilous times are going to come. The Bible says at the end of the age, perilous times will come. I believe there's some economic storms on the, on the horizon, but it's not just economic. There are moral storms going on right now. There are issues happening right now. We don't even realize how these storms are going to collide and, how, and, and what it's going to do in our world and in our own country. We don't, we don't understand these things. But, but the Lord did tell us right here in the Bible, as you see the day of the Lord approaching, start assembling more. And this is exactly what the Holy Spirit is saying for us to do, to get rock groups, take them everywhere and start assembling. And why? For what you get, well... Yes, you'll get something, but it's what you contribute. It's going in there. There are people that need ministry, people that need healing, people that need encouragement, people that need counseling. They don't know what to do. They don't know what the Bible says. And the Lord has filled us up with the word of God. We need to go and tell them and and be counselors. You wouldn't believe all the calls and emails we get just trying to answer all the questions that people have. And this is where the Lord's saying, it's time to send out the troops that I filled with the word of God and let them begin to counsel and let them begin to bring answers and solutions to people's lives. Thousands and thousands of people. Thousands. Thousands. Well, I'll just mention in Acts chapter 2 that they were meeting in the temple and from house to house and the Lord added to the church daily. The Lord added to the church daily. And so this is what the Lord is saying to us and no doubt... When we talk about these things, it conflicts in our hearts and we say, man, I'm so busy already. And we know 
That's true. Because there's nobody in here that's not spending their 24 hours a day. Every one of us are spending every minute of it. Every one of us. And so whenever you try to fit something else in, something gets tossed out. No doubt. But we not only have the Holy Spirit saying this to us, but we've got scripture on it that as you see the day of the Lord approaching, it's time to begin to meet more often. It's time to begin to assemble more often. And so I want you to begin to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, how do I do that? How do I do that? Many of you will start rock groups. And I'm telling you, the ministry that's going to happen to people in your rock group is going to be wonderful. It's going to be so powerful. There'll be signs and wonders. But even more than that, there'll be love that is ministering to people. Love is the ultimate. And some of you are going to be attending somebody else's rock group. But we're going to take them everywhere. We're going to take them everywhere. And people that don't know Jesus, don't know anything about Jesus. They're going to end up in there and start getting discipled. And the number of the disciples are going to multiply. But your contribution is so important. So important. And the Lord's going to use it in significant ways. How many of you want to be a part of what Jesus is doing in this earth? Keep your hand up. Let's talk to him for a minute. Say, Lord, use me. I want to be a contributor. I don't want to be a taker. Forgive me for ever being a taker. And make me one who contributes. Who blesses. Who heals. Who delivers. Who helps. Who supports. I trust you to take care of me. I give my whole life to you, Lord. Be my master. I will not serve mammon. I serve Jesus. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. I follow you. Now let me pray over you. Father, I pray for this precious congregation today whose hearts are stirred. And the reason their hearts are stirred is because they do love you. And they do hear your gospel. I pray in Jesus' name that every person that's cut to the heart today would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to begin to make whatever adjustments are made so that they can be a part of what you're doing in this earth in every way you call them to be. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's thank God for His Word today.